The American Truck Driver Podcast, Episode 7. Welcome to the American Truck Driver Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Polk, and I'm an American truck driver. The website is www.anamericantruckdriver.com. You can find me on social media at facebook.com slash anamericantruckdriver and on Twitter at truckinzar. You can also call or text 413-24-TRUCK. That's 413-248-7825. My email address is Driver at gmail.com this is uh, episode seven i'll take this time to uh, update you on what i've been doing i uh, have been setting myself up and trying to gather together all the proper equipment so that i can have a guest host i've got a couple of friends of mine uh, that uh, i have a lot of interesting conversations with and they have a a perspective and a depth of knowledge on this industry that that I would like to share with people, fellow owner-operators who can speak from experience on issues concerning the industry. I've spent a couple of weeks now, I keep thinking, okay, I've got it together, I've got it together. I've been buying equipment and, and I've had to wait and get cords and every time I think I would have it together, well, I needed one more piece. So I finally got it and I got it tested and it works and I should be able to uh, use Skype or FaceTime uh, to bring someone on uh, even to do interviews there's people in the industry that I would love just to do an interview with Uh, so as it stands right now probably in the next uh, I'm kind of hoping the next episode but we'll see uh, how it goes and when everyone's available uh, that I'm going to bring a co-host in and and we will have discussions uh pretty much like we do as we're driving down the road and we we have these marathon philosophical conversations about the industry and what we think about where it's headed and uh they they get pretty interesting uh with these guys so uh, i want to be able to share that with everybody so we're finally getting that set up so hopefully episode eight or nine we'll have a co-host and it won't just be me sitting here flapping my gums all by myself. Uh, I'm going to move around a little bit on this episode and uh, cover a couple of different topics that have come up in the last couple of weeks. Uh, One, I got an email from a guy. I love getting emails, by the way. I've gotten a few. Everything's been positive, good feedback. I appreciate that. But I I got an email from a guy in New York who, um, I guess... His first email was basically saying, well, it's kind of like being an owner-operator, not really. And there was talk about truck lease, and um, we went back and forth. And basically what it ended up being is a guy wants to hire him on a 1099 contract uh, where he has to pay his own taxes. So the way I understand it, he's going to go to work for a company that basically contracts drivers out to a company so or to a carrier so the carrier hires the company the driver actually works for the company or for the uh yeah they work for the company and then they lease the driver from the company and they lease a truck from a different company so this guy's asking me he's interested in being an owner operator what i think and well at first i had all kinds of red flags going off and it was making me nervous and 
But once we got more information, my basic conclusion was, well, you know, man, if it gets you where you need to be, um, and that's the reality of, you know, we always have to ask ourselves, what am I doing today and where's it, where's it going to get me to tomorrow? So here's a guy who is, you know, making 40 cents a mile driving a company truck running north, uh, northeast regional. So, you know, it's probably kind of difficult up there to run 3,000 miles. So you're probably looking at a guy that's probably grossing around 800 bucks a week. And, and then by the time the government gets done with him, he's not making it home with much more than, uh, you know, a burger flipper. And so the way I kind of look at it, well, if if this is a means to an end, uh, I don't see a big problem with it. Now, it's not a good long-term position because technically, technically, legally, unless you... Uh, are a contractor where you are providing your own tools and anything that you need to do a job. And in this business, that would mean you would be providing a truck. You are not a contractor. You are an employee. Um, We've seen the lawsuits involving FedEx uh, port drivers that have cropped up over the last two years. And to me, it's a really dangerous precedent that is being set because if you use their strict interpretation, then they will try to say that, that I, as a, a contractor with my own truck leased to Landstar, well, I'm an employee and they should, they should pay me an hourly wage and they should provide me benefits and they should do this and they should do that because I'm not technically an employee by their strict definition. And of course, the people that benefit from this, uh, this shift, uh, the people that benefit from this are not having the driver's best interest at heart. They say they do, but just like most uh, corrupt political sociopaths, uh, they do whatever benefits them. And this, this, is, this is not a good shift in the market, and these are people, uh, these port drivers and, and the FedEx crew, Uh, Even one lady in California sued Uber because she signed up for Uber and used her own car and ends up suing Uber for gas money and, and, and tried to have herself classified as an employee. Well, no, idiot. You're not an employee. You're a contractor. That's the point. Uh, These people that, here's the bottom line. These people that hate self-employment, and and there are plenty of groups uh, out there that hate self-employment because when you're self-employed, it takes away another individual's ability to control you. It takes away their ability to have sway over how much you make and when you work. Uh, And it's so, you know, I've... I have said, and it's kind of inflammatory the way I say it, but I mean it to be inflammatory because I want to kind of shake people loose and think about it, that the employee model has become the new slavery. Well, you know, just give me a job. Job, 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 job. Just give me a job. I I just need a job. And so they give you that. Well, they give you a a subpar uh, 
you know, barely enough to get by, uh, you know, and they dangle some health insurance or other benefits in front of you. But you belong to them. They own you. They own your labor. You don't own your labor anymore. They do. And, you know, I'm not mad at unions. I'm not opposed to unions. If you want to be in a union, go ahead, have a ball. I, I don't have a problem with it. You're not going to force me to join a union because I don't see a benefit in it. There, for me as an individual living in 2015 at almost 40 years old, there's absolutely no benefit to me being in a union. It just doesn't have anything to offer me. So if you're going to work as a company driver on a 1099, just be aware that you're walking on the edge of the cliff. Can you get by with it? Probably. Lots of people do. Uh, but as a short-term solution, here's what I'm going to advise. I'm going to say, okay, having, having crossed over myself from employee to contractor, uh, the basic tricks of the trade are, well, that first year, once you have moved over from employee to contractor, you don't have to pay the quarterlies. Okay, so stay with me here. You don't, you're not penalized that first year if you're not paying quarterlies. The second year, you have to pay your quarterlies. Well, if this guy can go out and work for 12 months with basically no taxes being withheld. Now, he's used to making, taking home six, $700 a week. Well, if you can go out and bust your butt on a 1099 contract and you keep all the money without having the government steal a third of your income, then you can go out and bust your butt for a year if you continue to live on the 600 that you're used to and you take the other five or 600 that you're now making and stick it in the bank, then in 12 months you've got the capital that it takes to buy yourself a truck and get started. Then you start paying your quarterlies and, and file your taxes. But most people... especially those who are employees, don't pay any taxes anyway. You know, if, if a lot of you would sit down and do the math and you look at how much is being deducted from your paycheck every week and then you look at that big, fat, magical check that you get in, in April when you get your uh, tax money return, which is a joke, well, if you've got a couple of kids and you're married... So many people now fall into the earned income tax credit that they give you back everything you paid in and then some. It happened to me the first year that I was an owner-operator. I made $178,000 gross revenue. And by the time my deductions were figured in and all of my per diem and all my business expenses with two kids and a wife at home, uh, that didn't work outside the home, we qualified for the earned income tax credit. I paid no quarterlies. I paid nothing the first year in 2011. I didn't write a single check to the IRS and got almost $3,000 back. I use air finger quotes around the word back. I basically got a $3,000 check from the government, and I paid nothing in. And we wonder why the government's broke. So... The short-term solution to this guy's issue 
is basically, in a sense, I'm, I'm, I'm being very generous with the terminology here, but in a sense, this guy can go out and basically work for a year, in a way, kind of tax-free. He can go out and make all the money, not have anything deducted from his paycheck, take that money that would have gone to the government, stick it in the bank, save up six or eight or $10,000, and go buy you a truck, and then go make some real money. The, the, there's really not a downside, because more than likely, now I don't know this guy's filing situation, I don't know if he's married, I don't know if he has any kids, I don't know any of that stuff. If you're single, you probably couldn't get away with that. But I have seen a guy go from zero to a 100% paid-for truck in one year. It was my cousin that did it. Now, he's single, never been married, doesn't have any kids, was in the military for a long time, um, doesn't really, I guess, have any bills to speak of. So all this time since he got out of high school, he's been saving money. But he went to Anderson Trucking Services like I did, and he stayed there for a year, and he ran his butt off, and he learned and learned and learned and learned, and he changed his attitude and his way of looking at life. And at the end of the lease, he just wrote him a check and bought his truck and is now an owner-operator for Landstar driving a paid-for truck. Now, I've known this guy since high school. His whole attitude about life is fascinating because when you have reached that level when you have a paid-for truck you have commitments and responsibilities but your stress level is like way next to zero what do you got to worry about I mean save up money for maintenance issues but you got no truck payment to worry about you know I there's so many things that I wish, you know, if I would have only known that I, I would go back and do differently. Obviously, I can't. I, I was the first one of any of my contemporaries, the people, my peers, the people I run around with. I was the first one. So I had to learn everything the hard way. Uh, you know, everybody was learning from me. Everybody was asking me the questions because I was the first one that went through it. So, you know, I would love... You know, thinking back to like when my wife and I first got married in 2004, you know, if I would have just been able to understand the business the way that I do now and could have bought a truck in 2004, a paid-for truck, uh, man, I would have done anything. Knowing now, uh, man, there's there's nothing I wouldn't have done to save up, you know, five or $10,000 and go buy a cheap, ugly, roadworthy, DOT-legal truck for five or $6,000 and go make a killing with that sucker. You know, but I can't go back, so here I am. And, and that's one of the motivations of this podcast, to use that experience to teach others uh, that it's okay. You, you can do it. You can go out in this business and make money. So uh, I'll close that segment with saying, you know, you can go to work for someone as a company driver on a 1099. I wouldn't do it. It was offered to me one time, and I turned it down. But I understand where this guy's coming from, and I can tell 
by the form of his email that, you know, he's a bright guy. Uh, you know, he, he uses complete sentences and good grammar, so he's not a complete idiot. Um, and I can just tell in his attitude that he's fired up and he's hungry and he wants to go after it. So, you know, hey, man, truck on. Make it happen. Um, go do what you got to do. Uh, and, you know, the rest of it will sort itself out. Next, I would like to talk about freight rates. Uh, wow. Uh, I am uh, I'm shocked at the ignorance in this business. I, I know I've said it before, but it, it, it just continues to amaze me. Uh, we just are coming out of a slump. Things are still not, uh, you know, peachy and wonderful right now. Uh, but I saw a, a major difference in freight availability, even close to the house, uh, where two weeks in a row I've been able to run extra runs in order, uh, in addition to my dedicated run that's made me a lot of money and helped me really, you know, because I was, it was getting scary there in about the middle of September because, you know, I was still running my dedicated run and, and it was okay, but I had been counting on. Uh, those extra runs that you know extra about 500 and, and a thousand and fifteen hundred dollars here and there to make a difference in my budget and we also got used to spending that money so we kept spending money like I was making money and you know we ended up you know with the savings cleaned out and and in a real tough spot uh, we made it through uh, you know we had to be very careful and thoughtful about our spending but we got through it uh, and it was just another lesson for me to learn along the way uh, that when the you know when that when the tide is high, when freight is great and and things are rolling and you're making money, uh, that's the time you need to be the most frugal. You need to be squirreling money away uh, because you know a, a decent uh, you know a decent owner operator, someone that that's committed to coming out here and. And, and serving customers and doing a good job can make, you know, anywhere net settlement. When, when I say net settlement, I'm talking about after fuel and any deductions, you know, from your insurance and stuff. Uh, at a company like Landstar, you know, you should be able to bring in anywhere from, say, $2,500 to $4,000 a week. Should be going into your bank account every single week. And when freight's really, really good, then that number should be probably four to six thousand dollars a week to the house, um, and even when times were bad, you know, here this last three months, it's it's really the whole of twenty fifteen's been kind of flat. It's not been very exciting at all. wasn't like it was last year. Last year was just booming, but you can still go out and, and carry two or $3,000 a week to the house, which to me is funny about owner-operators. We're only making two or $3,000 a week, and we act like, you know, the sky's falling down on top of us and the world's about to implode. But when you're out there riding that high and you're getting that three, four, five, six thousand dollars $6,000 a week, then you better be saving some of it. That way, if, if freight volume falls and truck capacity is up and the rates fall well you can make a choice okay i'm gonna i'm gonna ride whatever it is and i'm gonna take whatever i get or i'm just gonna go to the house you know i i can just sit at the house and wait for the the rates to come back up as volume improves and 
you know, maybe I can say, oh, well, I'll do my part. I'll take my truck out of the capacity loop, and, and that opens up a load for somebody else, which helps, you know, the, the general freight rates, which is fine. But the ignorance, uh, boy, the, the stupidity really shows up uh, at times like this uh, watching, you know, these Facebook groups. I mean, I should get out of them just because there's so much negativity and bad information and bad philosophy and bad attitude. But it, it's come kind of become a, a a comedic outlet for me because it just gives me an opportunity to scroll through Facebook and just laugh out loud at the stupidity. I posted a picture, I screenshotted on the Facebook page the other day, this guy goes on the page and says, well, I've I've had all the 80, 90 cent offers that I can handle. Uh, so I'm just not going to do anything, which is fine. That's your choice. You don't like what the rates are, don't move. Well, I'm not going to go broke and make the brokers rich. Okay, so that tells you that he believes that the reason the rates are low is because the customers are still paying the same, but the brokers are just keeping all the money which is flawed logic, but that's what he believes. But then, in the next sentence, he says, well, I talked to you know, this broker that I trust, and he doesn't even have anything he wants to offer us because it's all too cheap. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, hold on. You can't have it both ways. You can't say on one hand, oh, well, the brokers are keeping all the money, the customers are still paying the same amount, and the broker's just taking, you know, 50% off the top, but then you say, well, I talked to the broker, and, and he said he, you know, he doesn't even have anything he's going to offer us because it's too cheap. Well, what does that tell you? That tells me, and it should tell anyone that possesses the superpower of common sense, that in a market where volume is down, for whatever reason, and I don't know, I'm not going to pretend to know. I can't know. I don't know why the market is down. I don't know why things are were not shipping the way they Weren't a friend of mine had, you know, in one of our conversations, he said, well, maybe it's because it's the end of the fiscal year. You know, the, the fiscal year begins on October 1st, so he says. He used to work in a warehouse, and, you know, he says, well, maybe that's it. And I said, I don't know. Well, we'll see. Well, after October 1st, things started to pop up. So that, you know, I've got that little nugget now in my experience that says, okay, well, if we maybe if we see a dip in September, it's going to be because the end of the fiscal year and maybe because this whole year was so flat anyway that the end of the fiscal year was just more pronounced i need to go back and look at my numbers from september of last year just to see maybe september was soft last year and i just didn't realize it compared to the other months and maybe there was a big boom in october i don't know i haven't looked at it that closely but in america we have a we have a huge, huge epidemic, and it's, it's, a, it's a terrible problem that has been bred by politicians and media. Uh, that, you know, well, if, if, uh, if I have something negative happen in my life, then that means that someone is to blame. There's a, there's a straw man. There's a boogeyman out there. There's someone that I can point to and blame. And then I'm going to find those people, and I'm going to blame them, and I'm going to talk bad about them, and I'm going to cuss them out. Here's the problem with that. It doesn't make you any money. It just doesn't. You know, I was aggravated at my customer this week because normally my trailer's done at like 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and yesterday it wasn't done till 7 o'clock in the evening. Well, that's going to push me back a whole day 
of getting home. Usually I'm home on Friday. I'm going to get home on Saturday. Well, complaining about that doesn't do me any good. And there's absolute, I mean, I, I could even go in and say, hey, guys, y'all mess me up. And that's going to do me no good whatsoever. All that's going to do is alienate my customer and make me look like a whining, childish toddler uh, that can't handle adversity when it comes my way. So I'm going to keep my mouth shut. Now, maybe, you know, if they were doing it every single week and it was a pattern. But, you know, sometimes people get busy. And I have to consider what other people are going through and the delays and problems that they've had because the axis of the universe doesn't run through the top of my precious little head. So, that's, uh, and that's something I was talking to my friend Dan yesterday. We had almost a three-hour conversation going down the road, and I said, you know, man, I've tried to put myself in the positions of the agents and the brokers, um, and I can't totally because I've never done their job. But, you know, going out and doing sales calls makes my skin crawl. It just does. I, I just, I, I cannot imagine a scenario where I would enjoy going out and trying to, trying to sell customers my business. Uh, I just, I don't like the sound of it. It just, ugh. Now, there are people that love it. I mean, they just, they get up in the morning and they're fired up to go out and make a sale. I've met them and they're, they're infectious and charismatic and uh, energetic encouraged people and 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 hey man more power to you i appreciate you but that's just not me and so you know i've got to sit and think about or well, what do i do the market's down let's go with the scenario the market's down and you know capacity is is up you know, you've had uh, other things that have happened. You know, the oil field slowed down. and So all those guys are coming to General Freight. And other things are happening. And, and so our capacity is way up. And, and then the volume drops. Well, I look around me, and, and I'm trying to sell a customer on a lane, trying to get them to use me or my carrier or, or let me to be their agent. And they're looking around, and they're saying, well, look, you know, I'm looking around right now, and Freight's paying a dollar fifty. And the only way, you know, you sell them, okay, well, you know, I'll put it out there and see if I can sell it for $1.50. Or they give you some big, huge contract. You know, oh, I'm going to guarantee you a load a day, uh, you know, every week, and we're going to guarantee it for a year. We're going to lock it all down, uh, and, and you make the deal. But then what happens three months later, let's say capacity's down, and volumes back up, and all of a sudden, normal freight rates shoot up to two twenty-five. Well, what are you going to do then? Because you you contracted at a dollar fifty, and all of a sudden, now nobody wants what what people used to would take it when the market was down. Well, now they won't. But you've got a contracted rate. Well, that scares the crap out of me. What am I going to do? Am I going to put money out of my own pocket to get people to move the load? Because that happens. See, all y'all that sit around and, and complain and whine about the brokers, I know for a fact that it happens with some Landstar agents, so I know it's happening with brokers out in the general market, that if you've told the customer you're going to move the freight, 
and nobody's biting, well, you've got to put money on it to, to get people to take it. Well, guess what? The customer's going to pay you what they said they're going to pay you, and you've got to find the carrier. Well, if you undercut the market so deeply that nobody will take it, guess who's paying the difference? That's right, the broker is, or the agent. They're going to have to come out of their own pocket to cover whatever it takes. And, I, and I've sat and watched it even on the Landstar board. I'll get a load alert, you know, a load will pop up, and it'll say $1,000. And then a half hour later, it'll say 1100 And then 45 minutes later, it'll say 1250 And I can see, you know, I can see right there it's got the agent code and same shipper and destination and everything. And, and I'll say, well, nobody's biting. And eventually, you know, and I mean, I've seen them go up by increments of $1,000. You know, load started out at 1000 ended up at 2000 because when the freight's got to go, it's got to go. But it's not going to go until somebody hooks to it. There's just, there's so many variables in this, in this dynamic market to set in and just demonize people basically because you're too ignorant to understand what they're going through all you care about is yourself oh well my truck and i'm going to do this and i'm going to do that and i'll dead hit home and i'm not going to run this cheap freight well that makes you a jerk it just does because it's not all about you if you have a minimum freight rate that you were willing to run because you know what your cost is my cost is about 90 cents a mile okay well that means that i can go out and haul for a dollar 50 and make double what i did as a company driver last time i drove a company truck it was like 30 cents a mile well if I, my cost is 90 and i go haul for a dollar 50 that's 60 cents a mile profit well I just doubled my money that I made as a company driver, and, and somebody's a villain because of that? No, wrong. It's because you're greedy and you're ignorant. That's what it is. There's, there's no other way to look at it. You can blame the driver sitting beside you because he was willing to take the load and you're not. Well, if you're not willing to take the load, then shut up about it. Just sit there and don't take it. And if enough people sit and don't take it, the rates will come up. But if I'm parked in the space beside you and I make an individual choice that I'm going to go haul a load because it, it covers my costs and it gets me moving and it makes me however much money I need to make, well, that's none of your business. I'm not hurting you. I'm not harming you. I'm not doing anything to you. I am going out and being a responsible business owner by going out and earning the revenue that I need to, to, to earn in order to cover my liabilities and to cover my responsibilities and to cover my costs. That doesn't make me evil. Doesn't make me stupid. Doesn't make me, uh, you know, oh, you run cheap freight. I run whatever freight I need to run to make my business operate. And when, I'm, you know, hopefully... You know, as I continue to learn and continue to grow and continue to uh, do better with my operation and, and, and continue to lower my costs, maybe I'll get to be one of the guys that looks around and says, hey, 
whew, freight sucks right now. I'm going to the house, y'all. And just go sit at the house. Because if my truck's paid for, my house is paid for, my cars are paid for, and I'm out of debt, which I'm not right now, but that's, that's where I'm headed, that's where I'm shooting for, that's my goal. So if I'm there and I look around and I don't like the rates, well, then I can just go home. Or I can look at the rates and say, well, it's enough to cover my cost. I'll just have to run an extra 500 miles this week to make what I would have made last week run in less miles. Turn off the news. Turn off talk radio. Unless it's something positive and encouraging and it's actually teaching you something. I just said I'm at the Petro in Bordentown, New Jersey. And I went in. I was starved. Been running all day. And I went in to get me a plate of food. And I guess I'm a glutton for punishment because I sit down at the you know little trucker table area just because... It's entertaining, you know, just to sit and listen to all the ridiculous conversations. I hear a guy behind me, somebody's talking about fuel mileage. And I hear one guy say, well, hey, man, uh, you know, uh, I don't know why they buy all that aerodynamic stuff, but on them trucks, aerodynamics don't kick into 100 mile an hour. And this guy's allowed to vote, y'all. <laughs> Mind your own business. I mean, that take that in every way you can. Mind your own business, as in, you know, keep your nose out of other people's business and shut up, but also mind your own business. Because if you're an owner-operator, you have a business. You have profit and loss and revenue and expenses. So mind your business. Take care of yourself. Get yourself out of debt get yourself with a with a plan and and if you want to you know affect your neighbor well do it that way but stop demonizing people that you see around you just because you don't understand what they're doing or don't like what they're doing what's well, none of your business you I lo- you know how many times have we heard you drive your truck and I'll drive my truck well yeah that's what we need to do But we, we have got we have got to start calling out this stupidity. There's this is a, a fantastic industry uh, that if someone simply chooses to do so, you can make a great, great living. But you can't do it with a jerk attitude. You just can't. Because people don't want to work with you. And you're spending all your time focused on the wrong stuff. Focused on the wrong stuff. Focus on the right stuff. Get your face in a book and and learn something. Read something positive. Read something encouraging. Read something that, that gives you a different perspective and challenges you to look at the, the world through a different prism, with a different paradigm. Challenge your beliefs. You know whether you're, you know, left wing, right wing, in the middle, what whatever your, uh, whatever your core value is. Occasionally, ask yourself the question: well, What if I'm wrong? What if the people 
who told me this or that or the other, what if they're wrong? What happens then? You know, I, I started about probably seven or eight years ago. I used to be a talk radio hound, and I listened to right-wing talk radio from 6 o'clock in the morning till 9 o'clock at night. Um, and eventually I quit, thank God. I was going to drive my truck off a bridge. But I had to at some point say, well, what if, what if they're wrong? I mean, I always, well, I always knew the other side was wrong. But what if they're wrong? And that at least forced me to think about instead of just repeat all the garbage that I've been taught or led to believe. And so when that started happening, I, I noticed that, you know, I would I would have opinions, you know, on Facebook that would stray off of what Dr. Tom Woods calls the three by five card of allowable opinion. You know, and, you know, of course, the, the Democrats, they have a card and the Republicans, they have a card and everything's fine as long as you stay on the card, but don't you dare stray off the card. And I noticed as I started having my own opinions about things that, you know, my Facebook friends, you know, started getting deleted, blocked, and I'd get blocked by this group because they didn't like what I said about that, and I'd get blocked by this one. And well, now, as time has evolved, I have this wildly diverse Facebook feed. Man, I've got left-wing liberals, I've got right-wing fundamentalist Christians. I mean, I've got a lady who is convinced that Donald Trump is a gift from God. And then, of course, there's another one that, you know, of course, it's oh, well, it's all about Ben Carson, you know. And then I've got the other one with Bernie Sanders does no wrong. I've got my Hillary Clinton, uh, just Hillary Clinton worshiper. Uh you know, I've got the right-wing gun nuts. I've got them all. They're all there. And it's fascinating to see the stories of the day being filtered through all these different viewpoints. It's taught me a lot. It's really helped me to define my own positions on things. And everything comes down to basic private property rights. I have a fundamental right to go out and engage in voluntary commerce with another individual. And nobody, nobody on this planet, not an individual, not a group or a government, has any say over what me and another individual, once we have decided the what the transaction terms will be, then that's fair, period. Fair is fair, and it's fair based on what the two of us decide. The third party, it's none of their business. I, I, I do what benefits me. That person does what benefits them. And we each know what our relative costs are. And we decide. And once we have decided and, and the deal is done, then that's fair. And that's the end of the story. But nobody has, you know, no group or government has the right to interfere in my transaction so long as I'm not doing something to harm a third party or to harm the person I'm doing the deal with. But this this attitude that, oh, well, yeah, what you're doing doesn't, no, it doesn't directly affect me, but, you know, in the, in the cosmos and the social contract, you know, it all kind of affects me anyway, so, yeah, all my stuff is your, 
you know, all your stuff is my business and I get to tell you what to do. Wrong. No, you don't. Unless you're involved in the transaction, it's none of your business. So you don't get a say. I get a say over me. And another individual gets a say over them. And those are the only two people that matter. Your religious convictions don't matter. Your social construct doesn't matter. None of it matters. If, if I, you know, I don't do drugs, but if I did and I wanted to go buy a pharmaceutical from some individual, well, then it's between me and them. It's none of your business. It doesn't matter if you have a religious conviction against whatever it is we're doing or you have a philosophical or ideological, uh, philosophical or ideological problem with it. Well, I don't care because it's none of your business. Stop allowing these negative influences to change who you are and how you behave. Stop it. Turn it off. Turn off the news. Best thing you'll ever do. I did it about, I don't know, five or six years ago. I completely cut off all news. Well, let me back that up. I don't cut off all news. I cut off all TV news. No CNN, no Fox News, no MSNBC, none whatsoever. I do not consume any television news whatsoever. I still follow the news, but I follow it kind of at a distance, and I read the stories so that I don't have all the sensory overload from the garbage that they put on the television screen. Turn off the talk radio. Find you some good, positive, encouraging podcasts that will teach you something instead of just shoving the same garbage propaganda down your throat all the time because that's where all this comes from. All this angst and anxiety about freight rates and lanes and brokers are evil and all that garbage comes from politicians and media. Every bit of it. Because the dumber we are as a society and the less we understand about basic economics, the better it is for them. So turn them off. Cut them off. Cut the cord. Be done with them. So that's it for this episode. Uh, like I say, I'm going to try uh, next episode or expo- episode after to uh, get a co-host in here. And... We'll try to make some podcast gold. I'm also working on a couple of different show ideas for other shows outside of trucking. You know, maybe do kind of a libertarian-ish political podcast. I've got some guys in mind, so I'll let you you guys know about that one if we decide to do it. So that's it. This is the American Truck Driver Podcast, Episode 7. And we're done. (laughs) 